Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are all doing wonderful. Thank you so much for tuning in today as we continue our topic on salvation. This is season or series 18, episode 21 on indulgences. So uh, where we've been in the topic of salvation, we talked about the gospel. We talked about what Jesus was doing on a cross. We talked about right order and right relationship that Christ became uh, came to restore to unite all things in himself. Um, taste and see. A personal invitation to come and experience the love of Jesus and the life-changing and transformative power of his grace. We talked about his grace. We talked about saving faith. We talked about uh, being judged and saved by love. We talked about our consciences and how they can accuse or excuse us. We talked about heaven, hell, purgatory. We talked about are you saved? Um, we talked about free will, destination, the sovereignty of God. We talked about sin, and we talked about penance and mortification. And which one more thing I wanted to say about penance and mortification on the last episode is when you ask God, a lot of us ask for patience, right? If we ask for patience, be on the lookout because God is going to give you a lot of opportunities to actually grow in patience. So God will bring you penances. God will bring you penances if we ask for it, and he wants to make us patient. Um, and then the second thing is we have to be abandoned to every single moment knowing that if he gives us something or withholds something from us, it's for our salvation and sanctification. So we can learn, as St. Paul did in Philippians, we can learn to abound and we can learn to be in want because we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. So God in his sovereignty and God in his love for us withholds and gives and allows things to happen precisely for our sanctification. So that means in every single moment, even when we ask, God, help me to be more patient. He doesn't just snap his fingers and say, now you're more patient. No, he actually gives us opportunities to do that. And why does he do that? Is because he loves us. And so we can even in the midst of penances and mortification that God brings about in our lives, it's precisely to heal us so that we can rejoice. And so we can rejoice in that fact is that he loves us. He's showing his love for us because he's a perfect father. And that episode sets us up nicely for this topic of indulgences. So indulgences are still a thing. <laughs> they still are part of the life of the church that Christ gave us. And it is an infallible teaching of the church precisely because of Jesus's merits his life, his passion, his death, his resurrection, to fully heal and redeem and sanctify us. So um, this topic is a uh, controversial topic, and it's actually not that confusing, but I've it really honestly took me a decent amount of time to understand what indulgences were because they just seemed, first of all, like a bad word. So just like we talked about in purgatory, we should probably start on, on, on what indulgences are not. So in this episode, we're going to be covering on what indulgences are not, what they are actually are and we're going to be talking about the differences between temporal and plenary indulgences and by the way there will be i'll have a few articles from catholic answers which are uh, great um, more information on indulgences but today we'll just lay out the principles for this so first off what indulgences are not indulgences are not ways for people to be forgiven of sins or to buy their way out of hell or anything like that it actually presupposes that a person is already in a state of grace and walking with jesus so somebody who's already been forgiven and purgatory is also not a way it's not a mechanical thing that's like calculated like if you do this this is what will happen no the, it leaves it up to the complete mercies and the work of God, which is a mystery to us on this side of the veil, even to the church, right? So the church isn't saying this is exactly what will happen. It will just be here are the principles in order to obtain the grace and mercy of God and actually receive the the, the benefits of the indulgence is 
Um, so we're going to get into the definition of it, but continuing on what it is not. So it's not mechanical and it's not to get yourself out of hell or it's not to, um, it's not to get yourself forgiven because it presupposes that you already have been. And one more of indulgences and what they are not. They are not something that you can buy. You cannot buy it now and you couldn't buy them in the past. And so it's very interesting because actually believing that indulgences are those things are precisely the things that the church does not teach. And yet that's what was uh, potentially being abused in the 16th century of the 1500s that Martin Luther primarily penned his 95 theses on. And he actually wrote a letter to one of the archbishops because he saw that indulgences were being abused. But um, those 95 theses, by the way, does not include the primary doctrines of Protestantism of faith alone or scriptura, uh, scriptura alone. And, and those 95 theses were also very standard in that time to pin up arguments so that they can have a public debate and a public discussion. So those, even if he did, which allegedly, I guess, um, you know, that whole pinning up of 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg is not something that is, <clears throat> is historically for sure. Don't even know if that happened, but even if it did happen, it was actually routine life that uh, the church did and people did in that time to debate and talk and discuss. So Martin Luther put that up to discuss those topics. But first off, it didn't even talk about all those things that led to Protestantism because this was very early on. And he was rightly concerned about uh, people abusing indulgences. That actually wasn't the church's teaching. And what's very interesting as well is that Martin Luther, he actually, in his 95 Theses, in the, the 71st one, he actually um, he actually says that papal indulgences are a thing and let him who speaks against the truth about indulgences uh, be anathema and accursed. And anathema uh, just means basically let him be outside the church. So actually here, Martin Luther is condemning Protestants for people who do not believe that the church has the power to lay out the principles of people receiving indulgences. So just to summarize that, Martin Luther's 95 Theses did not include his primary doctrines that leads to Protestantism, and it did not include even him arguing against uh, against indulgences. In fact, he actually upholds them and says, let anybody who says any, speaks, any, uh, speaks against the truth of indulgences, let them be anathema. So he upholds them here. And also... Exactly at the time, what he wrote a letter to an archbishop is precisely um, uh, his concern of people not understanding the teachings of the and of indulgences, and therefore, um, such as those things that we talked about, indulgence are not external works in order to obtain some. Uh, one salvation. They're not external works to actually free a number of souls from purgatory, nor do the indulgences free one from the guilt or the penalties of sin. And one last thing about the history of indulgences during this time period in the 16th century is that sometimes you'll hear people say that the church was selling indulgences in order for people to earn salvation. So we just went go over that the church does not teach and indulgences are not in order to obtain salvation. It presupposes that you've already been forgiven and are, are, are basically saved. Second is that nobody during this time period was actually selling indulgences. It's not anything that you can sell and buy or, or give money for um, in order to obtain anything. There were people, however, that were abusing certain forms of charity that people would give. There, there were actual church leaders who had fundraisers 
in order to people to put their money into as a form of indulgence. So it was still the person giving out of charity and love and almsgiving that that Christ tells us to do. And yet there were some leaders who were abusing these indulgences in order to have fundraisers, in order to receive money for themselves to buy nicer clothes or have houses and stuff. So there was 100% corruption from certain people. But one, it was not the majority. And two, the church precisely does not teach that. And therefore, they were doing things that were uh, outside of church teaching. And it was sin, human sin, in the context of in the church. And so this is exactly what Christ told us would happen is that there would be the weeds among the wheat and that there would be the sheep and uh, there'd be wolves in sheep clothing. So yes, there were abuses, but nobody were selling indulgences and precisely those misconceptions are precisely what the church does not teach and has not taught and was not the practice of the overall universal church. And it's simply yet another matter where we have to separate what the church teaches versus what the people are doing. So we judge the what the people are doing and does that align up with church teaching. So don't knock the church or the church teaching for what people are actually abusing and being contradictory towards the church. So that's a little bit of the history and that's what indulgences are not. So then what are indulgences? Here's the definition. Indulgences are the remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. So let's, there's a few things that we need to define even within there, right? Is first off, it ends with already been forgiven. So people who have already, are actually already been forgiven in a state of grace and are not going to hell, right? So this is not to buy yourself out of hell. This is not to even save yourself or anything like that. It is, you've already been forgiven, even even to first be within the realm of trying to receive the benefit of an indulgence. So it's precisely around temporal punishment. Well, what is that? And like we talked about in the topic of of sin and uh, the continuation of our sanctification, even in this life, and we talked about penances and mortification, is that there are really two different things. Is One, there's the guilt of sin, and the other is the punishment due to sin. So when we are forgiven... By the mercy and the life, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of those eternal punishments and eternal guilt due to sin. Meaning that we have already been forgiven by Jesus, we've been saved by Jesus, and we are not going to hell. And so the eternal punishment and the eternal guilt of that is hell and mortal sin has already been forgiven, either by baptism initially or afterwards through the sacrament of confession or through a perfectly contrite heart of being fully loving God and being sorry for our sins because of our love of God and not because of our fear of a punishment. So that's the first thing to distinguish is that there's eternal uh, punishment and guilt and there's temporal punishment and guilt. And eternal punishment is when we are actually forgiven of that and we actually are going in a state of grace and going to heaven and we're walking in the grace of Jesus. But there's also a distinction between guilt and punishment. Even though we've been forgiven of the guilt of an eternal punishment, there still remains some temporal consequences or punishment due to that sin. Many times we think that it is simply if guilt is forgiven, we'll go to heaven. If one is one guilt is not forgiven, we'll go to hell. But this is an incomplete way to picture and view and view salvation because scripture tells us that 
Guilt is not only the result of sin. So, for example, we talked about this a lot in our previous episodes, but the book of Hebrews contains this image of reflecting on how God the Father is much like our earthly fathers here. If you're a good earthly father here, you discipline your children. God is the perfect heavenly father. So us as his children who are saved because you're not a child of God unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the grace of Jesus, we're already saved. And yet at Hebrews and Hebrews 12 that we talked about, 10 through 11, it talks about how God, he disciplines, chastises his children, his legitimate children in order so that we may share in his holiness and to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so they even talk about how it seems that this discipline seems painful rather than pleasant for the moment. But this is the result of it is because he is a perfect father. He brings about uh, even greater good in his children. So with that image of the perfect father, it really is much like here and now, if uh, a child does something wrong and you say, I forgive you, but you have to, you're giving up your phone for a week or you're um, going to your room for a week. So they're forgiven and yet they're disciplining because that is exactly what a good parent does is so that they can learn from their mistakes is one, but also they can grow and in order to correct this and actually those temporal effects due to sin, like let's say it's somebody who steals a car. I'm so sorry for stealing your car. That's great and I forgive you but that car needs to be returned, right? So they need to give it up and give it back. And they can do something in order to show that they truly are sorry and also to restore what was actually taken. Or as another example, think about juveniles, how um, as, as kids, in order to actually let them learn from their mistakes, but also to help them grow and to get this type of stuff out of their life, they are given volunteer work in order to precisely give back to the community that they either hurt or give back to the community that they can actually restore what they've done, even though that they've already been forgiven. So in a simple form, indulgences are very similar to this because God is the perfect father. He forgives his children in order to become a child in the first place, but also he disciplines in order to create the um, and produce in us greater holiness to share in his holiness and to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness to fully restore, to fully heal, to fully redeem. And he's also the perfect do- doctor. He's the divine doctor. Doctors who d- do procedures, they give vaccines, they give all these things that are pretty painful. They can be painful at times, but it's actually for our health and benefit. Hey, if you want to be um, a, a great, if you want to be a great athlete, you have to put in the work. You have to be disciplined. And this is the same thing here is that we've already been forgiven. We're already in the state of grace, but it's precisely working on those temporal punishments due to sin or those temporal attachments to sin. So people in this life, we may be walking in a state of grace. We're not being we're not committing mortal sin, but we still may have attachments, these inclinations, these desires, these passions, these feelings that do not correspond to God's will, his heart, his holiness, where we're still impatient. We still get angry. We still think lustfully. We still think greed, greedily. We still have pride. We still have envy of other people. If we are still battling with those things, well, then there's still room for God to work his grace in order to make us fully human, fully alive, to fully redeem us. And so that's the key there is that we are forgiven and indulgences are specifically for dealing with those temporal punishments due to sin or those temporal uh, inclinations to sin. So the church as our mother, again, back to these, these parent analogies, but the church as our mother gives us these principles, these ways in order to, um, to spur on holiness and love 
and these acts of charity and mercy in order to produce, just like in Hebrews says, to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness and to share in God's holiness. And it's only by the Holy Spirit, right? Because again, we're already filled with the Holy Spirit. We're already been forgiven. And now we're working on those temporal consequences or those temporal realities that we struggle with and deal with. And why does the church do this? Well, because it's it's precisely just the power of the keys that that, that Jesus gave to Peter in Matthew 16, and he gave the Peter and the apostles and all their successors after that, the power of binding and loosing. And in John 20, 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So God gave us the church to get us to heaven. So the power to forgive and retain sins is principally concerned with the remission of the eternal penalty for sin, but that is not its only function. The church also is precisely uh in the life of the of a Christian is supposed to be there in order to pray for, pray with, to encourage, to inspire, to uh, give recommendations uh, in order to grow in holiness and the grace of God. And so the church offers pious actions such as prayers, reading scripture, making pilgrimages, supporting causes as uh, a church for a church building or endowment of hospitals, all these good things precisely, which are all good in themselves by offering or suggesting certain ways in order to receive the benefits of an indulgence. And that's what the indulgence is, is just precisely giving and actually doing spiritual acts and giving, which Christ commands us to do, in order to spur us on to holiness and greater love and greater uh, sanctification in our lives. And the church is simply laying out principles in order to in order to get that. But the church isn't saying, it's not, like we said before, it's not mechanical. There isn't some uh, record book that says, if you do this, you get this, you do this, you get that. And there's really, there's no way of measuring and calculating those types of consequences that we're even talking about in the first place. That we leave that completely to God. God is the one who says he knows where the consequences are or the punishment and the guilt are. And therefore, uh, it's just simply the principles and things to spur us on to charity and holiness. And God will be the one who grants us that grace of receiving the benefits of an indulgence that will uh, re- alleviate us of those temporal punishments and, tor- and those temporal consequences due to those sins to make us fully uh, healed and whole. So that's the basic definition or the basic principles of indulgences. And we hear about two different indulgences, partial or plenary. And the, really the biggest distinction between the two is as it removes either part or all of the temporal punishment due to sin. And only God knows exactly how efficacious any particular partial indulgence is or whether a plenary indulgence was received at all. So a plenary indulgence means that every single part of a temporal punishment due to sin is completely removed. Or a partial um, uh, a partial indulgence is when part of the temporal punishment due to sin was completely removed. And so the church lays out principles again on how to receive the indulgence and how to receive, well, really to receive the grace of, an in, of the indulgence. But uh, the partial indulgence is much easier to obtain. A plenary indulgence, and as we said, it's only known to God and God alone, um, and it'll be shown to us at the end of, t- end of at the end of our lives. But um, a plenary indulgence is typically about going to confession, going to communion, the normal means of forgiveness, and the normal means of receiving the fullness of grace, and to be in union with the body of Christ, both in the head and the body, uh, Jesus and the church, and praying for the intentions of the Pope, and the last condition is the most difficult. Is the partly the, it, this is the difficult part? It's possible 
to receive a plenary indulgence, but it's not common because you have to be completely detached from all sin. You have to be completely attached to God. Literally, there has to be no attachment to sin in your heart at all. And that is a mystery and very hard to even tell because our hearts can de- our hearts can deceive ourselves and we're constantly tempted to sin here. So it is very hard to get that and it's really only known to God, whether it's a partial or a plenary indulgence. But that's really the biggest distinction between the two is if it's a part of the tempor- temporal punishments due to sin or all of it. And lastly, because what we've been talking about up until now has been how to receive the grace of of an indulgence for yourself, but this also can be um, obtained for the souls in purgatory. And as we talked about, the souls in purgatory, just like how we are here now on earth, if you're walking in a state of grace, are saved. You are going to heaven, but Christ and he, his holiness wants to purify us wholly to make us not attached to any inclination to sin, anything that is impure in our heart. He wants to fully heal us to make us fully alive and to to receive his holiness and to be in full communion with him in perfect love. And so the soul in purgatory is going to heaven, but is being purified precisely probably by an encounter with Jesus himself. But it's just as uh, Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus lives forever to make intercession for us and us as the body of Christ in church and in heaven are uh, united to Christ in his body and we also live to make intercession and this is what St. Paul always tells us to do is to pray for one another and in, uh, we see in the book of Revelation that the souls of the the souls of the people who have gone before us um, are interceding with bowls of incense and lifting up the, the prayers of those of us here on earth to God um, and it talks about how in Hebrews 13 that the souls of the just men made perfect are at the worship that we have here on earth because we're entering into the Holy of Holies that the mass and we're being lifted up into heaven. So that whole economy of all the entire body of Christ not being separated but being united to Christ who forever lives to make intercession for us can also be applied to our brothers and sisters who are being purified in purgatory because they're in a passive state. They can do, they can't choose to do anything. They are perfect. They are passive in receiving the the purifying love of God to be fully healed, redeemed, and restored to enter fully into the beatific vision that God has for them. Um, so here in this life, we still can choose. This is the only life <laughs> that we can choose to do, uh, that we have a choice to say yes to God or no to God. And so and uh, when we perform these indulgences, we can also ask God to help our brothers and sisters in purgatory to also be healed of temporal punishments due to sin or to be healed of any temporal uh, inclinations or attachments to sin and because we are fully united. And just as St. Paul says in Colossians 1.24 that we rejoice in our sufferings for your sake, for others' sake, because in our flesh we complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. So we intercede and we uh, unite our sufferings to Christ even for ourselves, but also for others in the body of Christ for their sanctification and holiness. And so, um, and again, this isn't, if I pray this, five souls are getting out of purgatory. Nope, it's not mechanical. It's known to God and God alone. These are simply principles that we have by Holy Mother Church that gives us the grace of God um, and to walk in holiness, to share and, and produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness that is only by walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh and to live fully in accord with Christ. 